0: This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for August 11th, 2015. I'm your host Rob Zachney alongside Andrew Gruen here to fill you in on what's been happening in the world of eSports. On today's show, Sue, the man who would be king of the StarCraft world, competes in an IEM Gamescom final and you'll never guess what happens next.
1: We also have an IEM Counter-Strike tournament at Gamescom where an unusual
0: format ends with the usual finalists. But first, we have massive news from the International where the Evil Geniuses team delivered the biggest victory in the history of American esports, winning $6 million in a four-game final against China's CDEC team. We'll talk in more detail about that final in a moment with Sean Vanneman, but first, I want to talk to you about the tournament as a whole. Andrew, you told me at the start of the tournament that you were hoping that the Chinese teams would clean up. Did they live up to your expectations?
1: You know they really did. Uh, to me, the story of this international was you know first of all America taking its big win. Um, that was huge. There's no under, there's no understating the importance of that win for evil geniuses and for the North American scene as a whole. but also it was China emerging as a as a truly dominant force uh, in competitive dota 2. You know, European teams are usually seen as being on par with China, like it's it's this sort of bipolar scene where you have China versus the EU, and we don't really know who's going to come out on top, even though China generally does uh, quite a bit better at the international. Uh, but European teams were just not really a threat at the main tournament, you know, Team Secret Empire and Cloud9 did very little, and the only bright spot was a decent run by Virtus Pro because everybody was kind of rooting for them. was kind of a good underdog story, uh, but other than that, it was all China and evil geniuses. So we had Vici, eHome, LGD, CDEC. Four out of the five top teams hailed from China. It was kind of kind of dominating in a lot of a lot of respects. Um, but yeah, you know the other important storyline to consider here is the rise of South Korea, which you know we've talked about. For a couple of years now, wondering when is South Korea really gonna turn online when it comes to Dota Two. They've been dominant in StarCraft Two and League of Legends for a while now, but the Dota scene has been kind of lagging. Uh, but this year, we finally had a team make a deep run at the international, and that was MVP's Phoenix Squad, uh, that really put on a solid show and ended up placing seventh uh, and a seventh slash eighth is the way they rank it, uh, alongside Team Secret, who were the favorites to win the entire tournament. You know, and that might not sound like that much, like seventh slash eighth isn't really something you want to put on your resume. Um, But that earned the team $828,763.65, which is, you know, far more than a championship win in practically any other esport. You know, and it leads us to kind of ask this question. We were kind of waiting to see if this would happen this year. And the question that's certainly on our minds is, what does a cash infusion like this mean to a young Korean dota scene
0: well it's it's really as you pointed out, it's that last sixty five cents of that prize <laughs> pot that uh makes all the difference. You know if they just spend like eight hundred twenty eight thousand seven hundred and sixty three dollars flat, uh, I don't think the the Korean uh, scene grows at all, but that 65 cents, that, that's sixty five cents that's what gets right me it's, the, it's the translation to one. Yeah, you know, it's so I have really mixed feelings watching MVP Phoenix win because on the one hand like first of all like as an, as a StarCraft guy, like an MVP team doing well, I'm usually on board with. I'm uh, like I'm I'm cool with that. I want to see them do well. Uh it's always fun following an underdog story and MVP really delivered on that front. Uh they're, they're sort of veteran captain uh, March uh, is, is sort of the, the this pillar of the Korean scene, and he was he was easy to root for. Uh, on the other hand, there's this other part of me that's watching it, and it's a Korean team doing really well in an eSport that until now has been marked by pretty good regional parody. And so watching, like, MVP really show up in force, there's a part of me that's saying, like, well, well here we go. Just here <laughs> we freaking go. Uh, because I, I think there is this fear that, like, once the Korean esports infrastructure is put into the service of cranking out good Dota teams, might we see the same thing that we've seen in StarCraft in League of Legends where the the Koreans just end up dominating yet another esport. And having MVP walk out with such a sizable prize pool when you consider that a lot of Korean pros are generally not paid all that much. Uh certainly like a lot of the people who would other who might otherwise be like backup players in Starcraft or you know subs and aspiring pros in League of Legends a lot of them have to be looking at what just happened in Dota and then not you know even setting aside the international look at you know look at the uh look at the Asian championships right the Asia championship where where you've got another you know mil, over over million dollar prize pool i i think the the fear is that a lot of those reserve players might start forming teams and uh at that point once you once you get a major like korean migration into dota uh it could be it could really reshape the scene i don't think they'll take it over though because i think you know dota kind of has this like the chinese sort of lead the scene uh europe has a really strong tradition there there's already a lot of infrastructure so i think in this case this is this is one case maybe the only case in esports where like you know, Korea showing up in forest will just be kind of a more the merrier situation.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, the worry with, with South Korea coming into Dota isn't necessarily that they'll take over, but that a lot of the great talent that we might see in StarCraft Two or in League of Legends, like you mentioned, might migrate over there before they ever get a chance to really show what they've got in those other games. Um, you know, personally, I'm not too worried about South Korea becoming a huge force in Dota simply because I feel like China already is kind of the South Korea of, of Dota. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, they have you know, a, a far larger population, a far larger pool of uh, potential players to choose from. But I think that the Chinese scene, the Chinese infrastructure takes a lot of inspiration from how the, the South Koreans have done things over the past decade, decade and a half. And the the Chinese just seem to run things similarly, with a similar work ethic, with a similar idea of how teams should be run. And and you know that's you know China is where the money is right now in Dota, and I, I think that it's going to be a while before anybody but China takes takes over the Dota scene, let alone South Korea.
0: Now, of course, there was a lot of other action outside of just the the rise of MVP Phoenix. Uh, to help us analyze the final day of the International, we are joined by our friend and Idle Thumbs co-founder, Dota Today's Sean Vanneman. Sean, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, before we get to the CDEC Evil Geniuses final, I want to talk a little bit about my favorite series of that last day lgd versus eg i I think a lot of us and and certainly andrew had been waiting for north america to stumble and sort of expecting uh that ultimately this was going to be a, a chinese uh dota victory and lgd were certainly one of the strongest teams throughout that tournament and that last series between them and evil geniuses ended up i think being sort of lgd at their very best but also showcase some interesting vulnerabilities and i just kind of wanted to talk about your your overall impressions of lgd who i think may have ultimately been a slightly stronger team than CDEC, uh but just sort of ran out of gas in that last series yeah i mean i think i was definitely in the same boat in
2: terms of preparing for uh something insane to happen and eg to stumble uh well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I think my my spirits were prepared for that. But I had a lot of confidence in EG um, looking at the way they performed at DA, DAC. Um, I just kind of thought that like, they had been in enough big moments uh, that that wasn't going to get to them. And it, it, when it comes down to Samael, I don't know if he's... I think there's just so much that's happened in his short life already in terms of how he was brought up and how long he's been playing the game that he doesn't seem to get like afraid or nervous and he sort of lives for these big moments. So I, I don't think I was as worried, but I was definitely... um Like I said, my spirits were prepared for it. And uh, the thing that struck me so much about LGD and the reason that I assumed... I was prepared for them to defeat EG is that they and I think this is Cisco's this for um CDEC as well in terms of just what Chinese Dota meant in TI5 versus maybe what it meant in in like TI3 is that coordinated aggression <laughs> was just so important to all of the uh, all of LGD's play and it made for something that was really exciting to watch, but also like fearsome in that you expected them to win. You know, it's been a long time, I think, in Dota to where uh, team fight mentality and early first blood and keeping the pressure on the whole way through uh, also coincided with the, the the path to victory, and that was pretty exciting. And I think the thing that I saw LGD do more than anyone else was just perfectly coordinated aggression. And I do think that, yeah, I mean, I think they would have given CDEC a run for their money as well. Um, in the finals. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing because I think, you know, LGD
1: is, I don't think going to be very happy with third place. I think that they very easily could have ended up winning that tournament. And, It's one of those situations where I actually feel like if the tournament was maybe even just two or three matches longer, CDEC might have even found themselves in like fourth or fifth place in this tournament. Because I felt like that grand final was finally at the very end of the tournament, PPD figured out, PPD being the support player and captain of Evil Geniuses, figured out. Uh, how to beat is uh, like, incredible aggression, and just, like, this, like, clockwork aggression where they would just move to a, a part of the map and kill somebody, move to a part of the map, kill somebody. And if LGD had managed to to hold on, I think they very well could have won this tournament. I think they very well could have figured that out as well. Um, and, yeah, just maybe even t- two more matches beyond this. If the people had a, just a moment longer to prepare for CDEC, uh, we, we might have seen that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's one of those things that there's not a lot of tape on CDEC. Right. You know, yeah. uh people were kind of I'm sure people were uh going into the practice rooms and going back to their hotel rooms during this tournament and watching a lot of CDEC replays. Um which I think makes EG's ultimate victory over them in the finals so much more impressive because um EG got smacked 2 games. I mean, like One of the biggest stomps of the tournament in the uh, upper bracket final. That second game was inside twenty minutes, right? Yeah, it was the it was like one of the shortest matches of the the uh, main event, and then gets knocked down to the losers bracket. So Saturday morning has to wake up to a best of three pause, and then win a play a best of five against uh, CDEC again. And I think it just shows. I would be really curious as to what their Friday night was like, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, in terms of just preparing for CDEC. And I mean, the hats off to PPD for doing that, because, I mean, uh, I think, I don't know, for the more casual um, viewer of of, uh, the the international, you'll watch a lot of these teams draft and uh, there's sort of like the classic image of, uh, five folks huddled over one computer kind of talking it out uh but if you watch eg draft uh that's not what happens they sit there in silence in their in their own seats in front of their own computer and uh ppd uh just picks heroes <laughs> right they, they do it. have and,
1: that impression of uh like yeah. they are they are ppd's tools
2: yeah he just i mean and i've i've seen interviews with everyone on the team and i've actually we talked to aui on um on dota today and when peter says fight we fight when peter says get back we back (laughs) and like Samale's like i don't tell peter what i want to play i just wait for him to pick me a hero (laughs) and like that's pretty awesome like that just puts so much on his shoulders as a leader and also um uh, so,
0: says so much about their ability to play as a team. So I did want to ask a little bit about uh, what it was that, what was it about CDEC that got figured out? Uh, I was talking to our friend, Steven Strom, who's a Dota writer for Red Bull Esports. And one of the things he, he was saying to me during the tournament is that it seemed like by that last day, EG had pretty well understood that CDEC weren't going to do anything unless they had the Smoke of Deceit active. And that was kind of their tell. And their sort of their aggression had been sort of very safe throughout the tournament, and it caught a lot of teams by surprise. But by that last day, EG had kind of figured out exactly sort of the rhythm and timing of a CDEC gank attempt. And once that weapon was denied CDEC, it was kind of... Game over for them, and I'm curious whether you think that that was sort of what EG figured out, or whether there was another weakness that got exposed. Yeah. So before we get into this, I actually have to
1: eat a little bit of crow here because in our first our uh, first episode, when you asked me who I thought the four strongest teams were going to be in this tournament, uh the uh, of the four teams that had finished atop the group stage, I actually said that I didn't think CDEC was going to be one of the strongest teams in this tournament. Um, and, and I own well, that. That would have been a lot, very, very lot bold of time. prediction. It wouldn't have, been, yeah. yeah. I I spent a lot of time thinking about why I got that wrong, and and the reason why I had thought that at the time was because CDEC was such a um, one dimensional team. And and I think that actually held out throughout the entire end of the tournament, where they they exactly what you said, Rob. They didn't want to do anything unless they had this huge advantage. They would just keep on ganking. They would take they would take five players and go gank two players, and they would only ever fight if that was the case. Um, and th- and that was one of the most amazing things to watch EG do to them was to wait until they were going to smoke. And uh, you use smoke of deceit, and then you know invisibly enter into the enemy team's jungle and try to pick off one or two players. As EG would know what was happening, and counter initiate on them and say like, "No, you're not going to get an advantage." But we're also not even going to run. We're going to just gonna, just going to engage right into you. Universe is going to hit this amazing hook shot, initiate this fight, and then here comes Samael just to completely wreck your entire team. It, it was beautiful to watch. A lot of it, it was just so much fun.
2: Yeah, it felt like um, EG. Really, just use their team strengths in terms of how their individual players play to counter CDEC because I don't think CDEC was one dimensional, but I do think you're right in that they didn't alter their their play f- uh, from aggressive to strategic. Um, like if you look at their drafts, they tried a lot of different things. Mm. You know, they tried a lot of different initiations. Like I think they're they in the first three games of their uh, of the grand final. Their drafts were all very different, you know? I mean, in that game three or four, they had a Slark, you know? There's a game where they have a Tusk, you know? Um, They try bringing in a Queen of Pain in the early games. Like, they really did. And then they got the Lesh most of those times as well. Um, The the Lesh was actually a really interesting part of this whole tournament, actually, that I would love to talk about. Oh, yeah, we definitely should. But if you look at the EG drafts, they were much more... um, Built around that gyro clockwork core, and then they sort of just got play um, heroes for uh, PPD and uh, AUI and Samail that just fit their playstyle. And I think what they did was they said, "Look, like Samail is the most one of the most aggressive players up there with like Artezy, uh an aggressive uh, on in the game. So let Samael be Samael. but." universe is incredibly calculating and aui is uh very defense-minded and doesn't die like aui just like doesn't die it's amazing <laughs> like if you go watch like through, through player perspective aui play he just plays like skywrath who has a hundred health points <laughs> you know, like literally is just he's made of wet paper and he doesn't die he just doesn't die. He's just like, oh, I went four, oh and ten or whatever. Right. Um so I think they held back and played conservative and let um and and then like they played on a back foot, and then the moment they felt like they had an advantage because there was a poorly executed gank or somebody was out of position, they made they punished them. Yeah. And that was what they did. And um it was brilliant. And I don't think C D E C knew what to do after that. I think the idea of them waiting for EG to come to them just wasn't in their play style and hadn't been something they needed to do all tournament. So, um, yeah, I think in that sense, it wasn't so much that they were one dimensional and that EG just uh, used some of their restraint to their advantage. And I think a lot of that comes from experience. I mean, God, EG's played in so many big tournaments now, you know, over the
0: past five years
2: of professional Dota. Like, man. I think they, that's one thing that definitely was uh, in their court.
0: Well, there, there's also this element about EG that I think was, was really showing on that, on that last day, which is that it, it sort of seemed to me like EG posed this really difficult dilemma unless you have nothing but amazing players. Because I saw two different approaches teams taking trying to find a, find a way to take down EG. One was to play shut down Sumail. And you just did not <laughs> let him uh, get free in in the mid lane. And, you know, that was that was your game plan. Just knock out Sumail. But then the problem becomes, EG will let you do that. And somehow, by the way, Sumail will still get farm. I don't yeah, fully no, understand that it's like, that doesn't that... work, man. Like, that doesn't work. Like,
2: it just, yeah, you can't just, like, He wh- can't gank DC... three times. He'd be,
0: he'd, be, he'd be ahead, like, 500 gold. I don't understand yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Like if just remember- for anybody
1: else who doesn't know Dota, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Sumail just, uh, sometime off screen, Sumail was doing some amazing things that we didn't know about because that's not supposed to be the way it works.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you watch his gold graph uh, in the first uh, like five minutes of the game, Sumail somehow, the like 16 year old <laughs> Wonderkind, uh, just always has about 10% more gold. Like, it's really amazing. Like, no matter what happens to him, um, his last hits and just sort of, like, general farming is about 10% more than the next person. And I do don't know it's like he's playing another like he's got like a hack or like a secret game he's playing <laughs> well, i think, I think his just, secret game yeah. is is uh, his
1: supports because that's a really how he was getting back into the game is his supports kept stacking in the jungle so every time he felt like he couldn't go far mid lane he would just retreat back in the jungle and take a, a triple stack of uh, of jungle uh, creeps and he would just surge in in the gold craft and it was this amazing mm-hmm. thing to watch um And, you know, Rob, there was this thing that we had talked about, uh, you know, before the show a couple episodes ago, um, where you were wondering, what is the role of the star player in in Dota 2 right now? And that's when we talk about a star player, we're talking about some male. We're talking about someone like Arteezy or Aggressive on CDEC. And it's this really interesting factor where in the past you would see one-star player could just completely float a team. But at this international, we would see one-star player get so far ahead and then the team would lose anyways. And it was almost an audit on this idea of of building a team around an Arteza or around a Samail, And we only saw eg start to really win and start to do really well when sumail wasn't the only player who was performing and you would have in the grand like the grand finals it was uh universe who was playing out of his mind and it was ppd play, uh, drafting
0: and strategizing out of his mm-hmm. mind i well i kind of feel like that's a little bit of a cheat though like it's sort of like well yeah eg disproves that by having four star players and i think that <laughs> that, that kind of becomes a problem right it definitely shows like you can't it it definitely seems like this is not a game where you can just have, like, a hyper carry who, who yeah, you know, you can just let, let him get out of control.
2: Yeah, I mean, back in, like, uh, what, three, four years ago, you know, when Na'Vi was, was Na'Vi, it was, like, put Havost in the safe lane on somebody like Alchemist who can just farm up huge items really fast and that's it and like let dendi be dendi in the in the mid which was really exciting to watch um because he was going to like initiate in a way that was exciting and probably do some pretty amazing things in the team fights but that sort of let your carry get huge type of dota doesn't work anymore i mean in like game 3 or 4 aggressive was on the slark and i think if i remember right had the highest gpm like gold per minute in that or really close to uh to fear um and had the highest xp per minute and couldn't do anything just sort of everyone on eg was so elevated that uh they had a counter for him across the board whether it was through items or just straight up play uh, I think something. I think this patch, this whatever. I hate to say this meta. I hate that phrase. I think it's like this, like the cheesiest. Like I know what I'm talking about, sort of phrase. <laughs> but like this era of Dota right now with this patch um, is so uh, it lean. I guess I guess I should say it emphasizes a type of play that I think is really great, which is strategy. And um, you can win in any form, of, at any time. Like, you can win in the early game, you can win in the late game. Uh, and it feels like the swings in the gold, golden XP graphs aren't some under-the-hood rubber band uh, like that's pulling the underdog up to make right, it competitive. Right. It actually feels uh, genuine, and uh, it's really really exciting to watch and i'm glad we're out of the days of just like let your your one spot get huge and then fight like i'm really glad that those days of
0: dota are in the past well i think it's kind of telling that for me i think the the two biggest plays of of eg's day i'm not sure sumail was really a key part to to either one uh one was that that last game against lgd i felt like uh LGD were were doing really well, and they they just won a pretty pretty critical team fight, Uh, and EG were definitely on the back foot, and it was MMY who'd been just a complete legend throughout this game. Uh, MMY is trying to run down PPD, uh, and it's just, he's trying to run up the score, and he just overextends, and PPD's just lured him uh, into AUI, and AUI kills him, and then... All of EG just sort of turn on a dime, go back, re-engage, and mm-hmm. wipe out LGD. And that's the end of LGD's game. Like, the, the swing at that moment was so hard, because MMY, I think, had just bought back in. So he'd already died. He bought in to get back into the fight. And then he'd run down across the river and died again. And that was kind of... That spelled the end of LGD's game. And then, of course, uh, the, the, play that, the, the play that ends the international, effectively comes on the heels of CDEC getting a pick against Sumail and thinking, "Hey, this is a great moment to get Roshan." So that was an interesting an interesting moment
1: because I feel like that was the play that EG had been running against uh, every team but against uh, LGD and CDEC throughout this entire, you know, uh, latter half of the International 5, which was if EG was down, they would do something really bold like they would try to sneak in uh, a Roshan kill when it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and so it would catch teams off guard and so CDEC says okay we're down in this final game let's go for it and eg just denies them in spectacular fashion you know eg shows what should have happened to eg every single time they had been trying that over the last week uh, and it was it was just beautiful to watch but you know you talked about the you know <laughs> you're gonna make me feel weird for saying the word meta now uh but one of the things that eg did so well in the grand finals was was dealing with Leshrac uh, the Leshrac pick and it was something that teams had been so scared of the entire tournament like if you watch the international you couldn't help but notice every single game Leshrac was banned because everybody was so convinced that he was just a one man army who would roll over and win the tournament single-handedly if you let him if you let the other team have it and you know, EG showed that if you have proper preparation, you really don't need to be afraid of this hero. And what was interesting is that it, giving CDEC Le Shrac might have contributed to EG's victory in a lot of ways. Because if you give up that Le Shrac and you know the enemy
0: team will go for it, they become incredibly predictable. That's I definitely felt the Le Shrac was becoming a trap for CDEC. It was a, we're going to leave this out. And if you don't pick it, we will. So you're gonna have to pick it, and in that case, we'll just take. Uh, I think they were going uh, gyro and clockwork. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, that's sort of their drafts. Just
2: didn't really have thing to lose against uh, a You know, it's like, man, if he hooks you, and then you're in the cogs, and he's got blade mail on, like you're not <laughs> gonna live very long. You know, like your mana is gonna is gonna tank in any like aoe sort of lesh type damage you're going to do to him is he's going to hurt you back and gyro can stay away winter wyvern can save um herself like you know they yeah. were always they they're mids you know they were playing things like ember and storm and wind on some it's like yeah like it's just not fearsome you know Right. Uh, and especially could- if you're not going to get in lane as five. Especially if you're not going to get in lane as five and just push to win. Which is what you should, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They weren't doing that. They were, uh, like we've said already in the segment, they were uh, using Smoke It to Seat and ganking. And, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, that's... The- <laughs> That's one way to go with Lesh, I guess. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing that I kept noticing
1: with, with CDEC was that it was almost like this this lack of respect for fear on EG's side where they just kept letting him play Gyrocopter again and again and again. And he, he kept doing really well, and they never banned it out or they never took it away from him. And, I, and I, I couldn't help but feel like they were not really respecting one of the best players on Evil Geniuses. And it was that Gyrocopter that kind of won them this grand final Because every time CDEC tried to engage and take a five-man fight against evil geniuses, you know Gyrocopter's ultimate would come down and just completely obliterate the enemy team. There was some amazing Gyrocopter play where he would use his ultimate to just cut off the only retreat path for CDEC and they were just stuck in a terrible fight. It
2: was amazing to watch. That was one of the most impressive things. That was like, in terms of watching the tournament and getting better as a player myself, using the call-down, Gyro's call-down, to uh, kind of shorten up the the field of play yeah. uh, was something I definitely like took a mental note of. It was really, really impressive. I mean fear is just such a smart dota player he's just you know just incredibly incredibly smart dota player
0: so to wrap this up, I do have a slightly broader question about the current state of dota. Uh, this is not a game I know very well it 's not a scene I know very well, but it looked to me as an outsider like the hero pool was kind of narrow for this tournament. I I felt like in a lot of games I was seeing the same six or eight heroes just kind of rearranged with different characters putting in sort of guest appearances. And I guess I wanted to ask you like what was driving that? And does it maybe reflect a little bit of I don't know, Dota getting figured out and their Proving to be a, a fairly narrow style of optimal play I, I I'm just kind of curious what was what was going on with that overall hero pool we saw in this tournament and and kind of what it means
2: you know um I don't know if I completely agree um having watched like this is I'm now like I guess five years into watching dota and having experienced things like TI3 where I think um, they only picked like 80 of the heroes um, there's a hundred and How many heroes are there in Dota? 110? Um, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I think only 19 didn't get picked in the main event this year. Um, Yeah, I think... I don't know. It's pretty typical for the international at this stage to see... You know, was it last year or the year before where it was just Faceless Void, Razor, Skywrath Mage... Yeah, that was last year. All the time. Yeah, it gets constantly... um, so I think that I, you get a tendency to sort of look for those patterns, but I was actually pretty happy with, like, the, um, the range of heroes that were being picked. I loved that, like, Storm was in, like, a third of the games. I liked that Ember was in about a third of the games. Um, I liked that uh, we saw Techies be, like, a real difference maker. I mean, EG might not be in the tournament if it weren't for Techies. Um, techies became think- an auto ban. <laughs> yeah, a respect ban for AUI like that's so exciting. Uh, I was, I was pretty pleased with that to be honest. It didn't, it did not feel to me like Dodo was figured out. I didn't see one particular strategy that was winning over anyone else, whether it was a death ball or like just wait for Faceless Void's ultimate to be up and then you know try to catch a couple people in it. Uh, I loved that early in the tournament. I think it was like day one or day two of the main event, so Monday or Tuesday. People just started picking Luna, like, and I hadn't seen that in the, in the uh, prelims at all. Um, that was pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to like just be like, no the point. I I reject your point, well, sir. No, but, but, <laughs> but, yeah. okay, but
0: that's what kind of what I want to ask about. Because from my perspective, I was like. Okay, it's it, it's another Earthshaker. It's another gyrocopter. It's another like I, I I sort of felt like I was seeing definitely those two heroes. Uh, the, those two heroes jumped out at me, but I also felt like I saw a fair bit of uh, Storm Spirit Lena. I like there were a lot of heroes where I was like, "Yep, those guys again," and so it, it, it felt a little weird to me.
1: I, I I would counter that by saying that you know first of all a, a moba's meta always feels a little bit more stale than it than it really is because you'll always see. Well, you know, first of all, in every match, there's twenty heroes involved because there's uh, there's ten bands and ten picks, so
2: there's more going on than than, mm, what that's you, than one. That's great. Yeah, kind there's 20, Yeah, like what eighteen percent or something of the entire hero yeah. pool is on screen. Yeah,
1: and so. The, what I would say is, is if you if you go back and you look at how many characters were actually picked, it's always better than what it than what it appears to be um, mm-hmm. or what it feels like. And and I would also say that there are worse things than a stale meta, especially when the meta is this much fun to watch. You know, we, mm-hmm. we we're seeing Earthshaker, who is this incredibly dynamic, skillful character who can. Basically just remake the map however he wants to if he plays correctly. You know, Storm Spirit just flies across the map and engages in any fight he wants to. Clockwork, you know, shoots across the map if he can hit these incredibly difficult hook shots. Uh, These are really fun styles of Dota to watch. And the only thing that to me emerges as a dominant trend is that these teams wanted characters that could fight really early. Uh, and that's that's not really a bad thing from a viewership standpoint. Where if these teams want to go out there and just battle right from the sound of the horn, that's not something I'm going to really complain about.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree um, completely. And uh, it was just it's so interesting to me that Broodmother was picked like a bunch, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> not a hero that you ever see. And I think I'm able to appreciate it at this stage more in terms of other big tournaments where it's like oh remember at ti3 where it was all just you know like Life Stealer all the time or whatever um and you know like somebody like earthshaker was picked like a hundred times over the t- course of the entire tournament um but he only had like a 45 percent win rate or something so i think that's a testament to like how good of a hero he is but also he's not just like a pick and win like oh they got the earthshaker like gg right. yeah you know um The heroes that were, I think what the ones that I saw are the ones that felt like the top were like Lena, Gyro, Tusk, uh dazzle I guess those were the but
1: those are really exciting heroes you know um so i was really bored by the lena and tusk thing that was that was the only part of this ti that that started to bore me cuz lena is not a dynamic really not really a dynamic character where it, it, she's not someone who you know zooms into a fight and starts something she kind of is a secondary initiator and the and the tusk to me was kind of a okay you got tusk so you're going to play this way so it, it, that that felt a little bit stale personally
2: yeah, I think the playstyle of what they ended up doing with it, I understand how that can feel stale. But also, like I just remember playing so much Dota, and it, like it, it, Tusk is just this like trash tier garbage <laughs> hero, and it's like, like what? Like Tusk is the fucking man? All right. Uh, I was just, I don't know. I find it to be like kind of like that is interesting to me, where it's like, oh, I guess he's worth a damn. Now, okay, let's watch this. It, um, it is
1: interesting to have played thousands of hours of dota and then see the pros play the game in a manner that you've never even understood before
0: (laughs) yeah all right uh sean thanks so much for joining us i know our listeners can hear you every week on idle thumbs but when can we expect another run of dota today you know i have a list of people i want to talk to for dota
2: today uh if you don't know what dota today is it's a very 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 sporadic uh dota 2 interview show so i try to talk to people it started off as game devs who played dota because i thought that was i just found all this like through threads through my friends who were also game developers um who liked dota it's like oh we're all the same sort of type of person <laughs> um so i would talk to them about the game and then that sort of uh evolved into talking to people in the scene a little bit uh so we've had some really g- great interviews with like Cinderin and blitz and aui um You know, I'm working on a game right now, so I work almost all the time. But as soon as the game is wrapped, I think I'm going to try to just put a bunch of Dota Today interviews in the can. And uh, you can find those at idlethumbs.net slash Today. Yeah, and you can find almost all of our podcast stuff at just idlethumbs.net.
0: Great, Sean. Thanks for joining us this morning. Really fun. Thanks, guys. Now it's time for Andrew and I to congratulate ourselves on our uncanny Cassandra-like foresight. Andrew... Did you happen to catch any of the IEM Gamescom StarCraft tournament?
1: You know, I did. And it it turned out to be one of these great tournaments where everything goes exactly as you thought it would. Uh, And, you know, as you said, you kind of get to pat yourself on the back for knowing so, so much about StarCraft. Because it's very rare for something in StarCraft to go the way you thought because StarCraft is such a complicated game and so much goes On beyond behind the scenes in preparation, where a lesser player might figure out something about a a greater player's style and be able to take a game off them, and you would never really know that that was going to happen. Uh, But this was a tournament where everything was just you know by the script, and and that makes actually feel pretty good in some ways. You know there were a few interesting matches uh, in the finals and the semifinals. So the semifinals were the final four players. We had fantasy innovation um mma and then also sue who we've talked about (laughs) many times in the past on this show Um, but the big story here was that sue has once again lost a finals match and so for those of you who don't know sue very well he is pretty famous for this this is this is what sue does he's been arguably the most dominant starcraft player in the world for the last year or maybe two years but he just can't win finals. He gets to that final match, and you know, I hate saying the word, but he kind of chokes. And, you know, when I watched him play against Fantasy in the semifinals, I started to see him waver. He was playing classic Sioux, where he would play brilliantly in the moment, in these battles. He would just crush the enemy. But then he would follow up. The second he had a chance to actually think about what he was doing, there would be this sort of spectacular emotional flub. Uh, That seems clearly brought on by the stress of the situation. Uh, So in his series against Fantasy, we saw several games where he just straight up crushes Fantasy's uh, Terran mech army. And mech is uh, famous for how long it takes to build. So generally, if you lose a mech army as Terran, especially against Zerg, um, you've pretty much lost the game because the enemy will just attack and destroy you before you have a chance to build up that critical mass of tanks and hellbats and Thors ever again. But time and time again, we would see Sue brilliantly destroy Fantasy's armies and then just sit back and let Fantasy rebuild. He'd just give him like five, six minutes to just completely rebuild and remax out again, and Sue would have to crush him all over again. Um, but, you know, he finally took that series, and I thought, you know, okay, I've misjudged Sue. I thought he was playing wrongly there. I was worried he was going to lose, but clearly he knew what he was doing. He took the series, and I, and I overreacted. Uh, I th- I thought you know Sue has turned over a new leaf now that he has finally has a championship under his belt and then lo and behold he just gets demolished by Innovation in the grand finals
0: you know yeah and you can't put first of all, you can't put too much uh, store by that championship he's got in his belt that's a KESPA cop it's practically <laughs> it's practically a Korean Starcraft like you know lo- local like PC PC bang tournament like it's it's. I do not think it counts the way like, a GSL championship or a Star League championship would count. I think he's, Sue is still looking for his signature win. And uh, boy, he sure didn't get it this weekend. I'll, I'll tell you, like when I saw that first game where they're both basically, I think, trying to cheese each other. But they're both trying to proxy, right? Mm-hmm. And Sue's got all his drones running, running out of the base... Uh Innovations planting bunkers near sue's base, so they're both they're, they're both trying to sort of sneak up on each other and like once Sue realized what was happening, it was it first all it was a weird opening from him, I thought, and then the moment he realized it was happening, it just felt like we were off to the races like sue was sue was already off script, he was trying <laughs> something that was a little beneath him as a player, and innovation just he is so good at breaking opponents down like that. Well, I thought it was really cool. I actually thought what Sue did was really cool and kind of smart where he,
1: you know, for those of you who didn't get a chance to watch it, he six pools a Terran player, which you just don't do because Terrans generally have the ability to wall off the ramp and then your six pool is just over. It doesn't doesn't do anything. Nobody Um, knows what a six pool is. Well, (laughs) it's a huge early attack uh, where you put all of your resources into building just these few Zerglings right off the bat and then you just charge at them with Zerglings and your drones. It's a complete all in. It's the most, you know, the word that they use in StarCraft is cheese. You know, you just, you, you throw something that isn't supposed to work at the other player, but if they're not ready for it, it will kill them. Um, and, and I thought it was a really smart idea to open up with this against a player like Innovation to try to get the mental edge. And what we saw there right in the middle of that game was Sue just lose confidence in himself immediately. He sends the drones back to, uh, he aborts the, the, the six pool cheese in the middle of it. And, you know, there's no coming back from that at that point he has essentially seeded the game uh to innovation at, at that point when you send all of your drones across the map and then just decide oh no I better go back and abort this and play the game normally now it was never gonna work out for him after that and it was just it felt to me like like an emotional break uh where he should have just tried it out see if the six pool works and and see how this weird game plays out but he but he kind of flubbed it and you know we should not just talk about sue losing though even though it's like our favorite conversation topic in the world Um, but innovation looked really strong as well you know he hasn't been in top form since his amazing dominance in 2014 but this weekend he looked really great he's famous for this you know style of mech play as a Terran player where he builds just tons of tanks and he's just so much better at positioning and playing Starcraft like a chess game that you know we got to watch him completely annihilate MMA who is also a Terran player and every time MMA tried to challenge innovation with mech it got ugly. You know, there was one play in particular where it was one of the coolest StarCraft plays I've ever seen, where Innovation literally surrounds MMA and pins him up against a wall and wipes out his entire army in about 10 seconds. It was the most beautiful positional play that I've ever seen in StarCraft II. Uh, I've never seen a top-level player just get boxed in and trapped like that before. Uh, you know, and hopefully Innovation's back in top form because this is, this is what Innovation looks like when he's in top form. He pulls off these plays that for lack of a better term, are, are perfect. Where you can't, even if you
0: slowed it down, you couldn't come up with a better way for him to do it. Uh, you know, I feel like watching Innovation lately, I just feel like he's a better team than he was uh, in like 2013, 2014. Because I feel like in that era, Innovation was profiting off the fact that he was one of the first guys to really sort of grok uh, Heart of the Swarm. And once the game sort of caught up to him... And I think it, it happened real suddenly, right and I think it was star league uh he's he's playing against Maru, and this sort of starts the decline right where where like people start to figure out like oh man, innovation really just over relies on a couple bills and he he really is abusing the uh the uh the hellbat but once that once that got figured out, innovation i think became kind of an kind of uninter- both uninteresting and kind of ineffective as as a starcraft 2 terran but lately i feel like he is he is really the the, the whole package once again has become much more uh, dynamic player than than he was
1: so our show is already running a little bit long today uh so we'll just check in briefly on the weekend's counter-strike tournament at gamescom rob what did we see from csgo at gamescom this week
0: Uh, So the ESL were trying something interesting with the format where instead of a group stage followed by a bracket, they were doing an arena format where the winners had the option of picking the next opponent. Red Bull did something similar last year with one of the Battlegrounds events, and it's a pretty neat twist. But the problem at this tournament was that there were just two heavyweights in the mix against a lot of, let's call them undercards, right? So the entire tournament was building to the inevitable which was a trio of Team Solo Mid versus Envious Games. And Envious just clean uh cleaned house against TSM which wasn't a huge surprise. Uh Envious are the former LDLC squad, uh so if you watched StarCraft uh if you've watched Counter-Strike in the last year, You've probably seen the LDLC squad near the top of a lot of different Counter Strike tournaments. But I think a lot of people were expecting something better from TSM based on recent showings. Uh, Envious were upset by Cloud9 a couple times in July, while TSM just won at Dreamhack Valencia. And that's the sort of thing that gets you wondering if you're about to see a reshuffling of the uh, deck. But Envious probably shut that talk down this weekend. Uh, they, they won a couple really lopsided games against Team Solomid. And even the last match where if you look at the score, it looks like Team Solomid were putting up a really good fight. I think that round ended, ended 16-12 uh, in favor of envious. But if you watched it live, it wasn't as close as that score indicates, right? Like what, what TSM were profiting from is what you call in other sports, like it's garbage time like envious know they've won. There's no way TSM is is mounting a comeback at this point and they give up a few rounds, but at no point is the outcome really in doubt. Like once envious is up, I think it was like 12 to 4. Like that's that's pretty much a snowball rolling down the hill at that point. Right. And you know, and Counter-Strike has sort of this unique format
1: uh, because of the rules of the way things progress in the money system, you'll, you'll very often see teams just sacrifice rounds to get ahead of the money so that they can be insured a victory later on. So if you only need four wins, you can just you know pooch three rounds in a row and then just to build up your money and then take that one assured win and then pooch three rounds and then take that one win. There's, very, there's it's, it's easy to still be in control of the match, even if you're not that far ahead.
0: Yeah, so it was kind of a disappointing end to the tournament and I would I would hope maybe, you know, the next time you, you do a format like this, maybe you, you try to either get it a little more evenly matched or uh, maybe fiddle with the the format just a little bit so that it's it it, it isn't just quite this this last day uh, showdown between the two top teams. But you know, Really, the the real test is later this month at uh, Intel Extreme Masters Cologne, where the teams are playing for a $100,000 grand prize. Uh, So... That is probably, it's got, you know, all of the big teams are going to be there. It's got a much more, it's got a much more elite lineup for that tournament. Uh, the stakes are much higher. So I think that's really where we're going to find out, you know, what does everyone's A game look like? What do pe- what, what can he- people really bring to the table against each other? Can Cloud9 actually uh, compete at, at, you know, at the at that level where the, where the stakes are so high, that's one of the things I'll be definitely interested in seeing. Uh, you know, as as a North American, but uh, we'll be looking at that mat- that that tournament in a lot more detail in the next couple weeks. That does it for all today's esports news. Now let's talk about esports tomorrow. Uh, first, this weekend we get our League of Legends semifinals, where things kick off on Saturday with Origin versus H2K in a best of the rest match. Nobody's been able to hold a candle to Fnatic, but Origin and H2K have both looked like the runners up and this playoff is going to be an important test for Origin, which is kind of uh it's it's Captains ex uh it's it's his OG European LCS team. It's a lot of a lot of guys who've been around the scene for a long time. A lot of really well-known players and it's kind of, you know, putting, you know, Expekay's like it's you know, if it's a band, it's like the it's the players that X pekes always wanted to have around him. Uh, and they're, they're not on Fnatic's level, but they're kind of an upgraded version of the old Fnatic team. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they fare against H2K, which were, you know, are, have been a surprisingly strong team uh, this year in European LCS. Then on Sunday, Fnatic play against Unicorns of Love, which is usually a great match, but it's really hard to imagine Unicorns of Love being much more than a speed bump for a Fnatic this weekend. Hey, Rob, how did your uh, gravity prediction work out? Let's, let's be careful about how we use the word prediction around here, okay? I merely, said, I merely said that gravity were doing really well lately and overperforming, but I don't think anyone could ever... like. I don't think you'll find audio of me saying gravity is going to beat Team Solo Mid in the North American LCS quarterfinal. I don't think I ever said those exact words. So, Andrew, you can go straight to hell. <laughs>
1: uh, I'll let you out of this one.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, no, the, the, you know, the big thing I'm watching out of NALCS this weekend is uh, Team Solo Mid versus Team Liquid. I would say Team Solomid kind of redeemed themselves against Gravity this past weekend, uh, but this is a major and this is a major test for Team Liquid. Uh, team Solomid have always been this team that can really turn it on for the big moments in North America. It's one of the reasons that, like, even when in terms of the regular season, like Cloud Nine looked so much better than than Team Solomid. By playoff time, that logic didn't really apply, and it somehow got much closer. It's, it's also, I think, one of the weaknesses of TSM, because they're a team that is always just good enough to get the job done in NA in the late season. But that's sometimes deceptive, right? So it's it's been a disappointing summer for for Team Solo Mid. Uh, they had a bad showing at the midseason Invitational. Uh, they fell pretty far in the standings in uh, the regular season this summer. So for Team Solomon, you know they have to be looking to do more than win against Team Liquid. Uh, this is a situation where you really, really want one of those just one of those just confidence-restoring beatdowns, right? Where you want to show like, no, we are every bit as good as advertised. The last few weeks have just been a glitch in the matrix. We are a world championship contender. Uh, team Liquid, on the other hand, really need to turn the page on the Curse era. This is a lineup. It's a really talented lineup. The team has been uh, improved in some key ways. But just historically, there's been a tendency to stumble down the stretch. And so they, they really need to show, like, when it gets to semifinal time, when it gets to playoff time, uh, they can they can really deliver on their early season promise. Uh, So you can catch all of that on LOL Esports, L-O-L this weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. The broadcasts begin at 11 a.m. Eastern each day.
1: Yeah, and we also have the Global Starcraft League's Top Tier Code S Tournament, Round of 32, still going on. So we'll be catching Group D and Group E of that tournament. You know, in Group E, we get to see... Protoss powerhouses like Rain and Hero. While in Group E, we've got Terran heavy hitters like Flash and Innovation. So if you like Terran, you're going to want to watch Group E. If you like Protoss, you want to catch Group D. Those will be really good. Uh, even if we we do have two players in each group that are heavily favored to come out of their group on top. Uh, then on the other side of the globe in StarCraft, we've got the WCS round of 32, where we'll be watching the first four groups, which take place at 3 p.m. Eastern every day from August 13th to 16th. And in the Korean Pro League, we're going to be watching to see if Team Prime can actually win a game this season... They're playing the two other bottom-ranked teams, so this actually might be their last chance to not go 0-7 like they did last season. You know, they haven't won since April. Uh,
0: except, except it's not. Except, like, why even, why even tell people that? Like, <laughs> oh, they're, they're going against the two other bottom-ranked teams in Pro League. Except there's bottom-ranked teams, and then there's Prime bottom-ranked, right? Like, it's, just, it's this different thing where it's like the gap between Prime and everybody else is just absolutely grotesque. I feel really bad. I feel like Prime are kind of there because, well, Pro League needs eight teams. (laughs) They really like (laughs) look. They need somebody up there, so Prime just finds whatever warm bodies they can and puts them (laughs) out there. And just like you know, Prime Prime is down there against at the bottom of the standings right now. It's it's KT Rolster, uh, unbelievably. Uh, I I can't believe that they're actually in danger of getting eliminated from from the playoffs and uh mvp and i just i don't see prime i don't see prime faring well just because because prime find ways to lose they're always pretty hapless uh but i i definitely support people watching pro league uh i just suspect those are maybe not the matches to to get to get in on but uh it should be it should be a fun week and it is kind of heart-rending to watch to watch prime chain lose We'll be discussing these tournaments on next week's show on August 18th, but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. We'd love to hear your feedback and field questions for an upcoming listener mail segment, so come find us again at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at es2dpodcast. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.